God is with us. Amen. If we'll open your Bibles to the book of Luke, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament. And then, of course, you've got John. We're not going to fool with him, I don't think. And you know, John in the New Testament, in the Gospels, what, what you can do to differentiate, differentiate between them and the John back in the epistles, the, uh, the letters, this would be Big John in the Gospels. Little John is over in the epistles. So we're not going to turn to Big John. That's just another truth or revelation <laughs> for you today. But uh, let me tell you about an experience I had. I begin to hear things, you know, because you, and there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever, but I begin to hear prophecies coming forth about 2020 and, you know, and, and, and things, it's going to be the wonderful year, no, everything's going to be the best year we ever had, and then I heard, uh, you know, like 2020 vision, I'm not against all of that, I believe God can work in all of those things, but it, just something in my spirit did not set right about what I was hearing, especially for me. I'm not saying it would be true for somebody else, but 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 for me, you know. And, and again, not against anybody for saying anything or prophesying anything. We all need a word from God, you know. But as I began to pray about it, this is what the Lord said. He said, the year of 2020 will be a year of great spiritual opposition. I said, well, Lord, that don't fit what I'm hearing. He said, well, I'm telling you again, the year of 2020, especially the first of the year, will be a year of great spiritual opposition. In fact, the way he told it to me, spiritual warfare. But because that word's misunderstood, warfare, misunderstood and taken out of context, he, I, I, I use the other word. But the way he said it to me, it's going to be a year of spiritual warfare. Now, I'm not talking about we've got to fight and defeat the devil because you taught me something during this meeting. Remember what you taught me? What did you teach me? The devil is defeated. D-E-F-E-E-T-E-D. That means he has no feet, and so you don't have to run from him. He has been defeated. You taught me that. So that's the truth. So we're not fighting the devil. But the truth about the matter is... The devil's only defeated to the point that the church enforces it. Only defeated to that point. Jesus is not going to come and bind the devil for us. We found this out in December of 1953 in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. You know, Broken Bow, Oklahoma is down in the southeast corner of Oklahoma. It's by the Kaimanchi Mountains. Y'all know where the Kaimanchi Mountains are down there? Well, it's where Bigfoot lives. <laughs> it is. They, they said he lives in the Kaimanchi Mountains. Then they said he was in Claremore. Then he said he was in Iowa eating the corn out of the field. You know what I mean? He, he's got them frequent flyer miles. He can get around. You know what I mean? But in the little bitty city of Broken Bow, Jesus Christ visited that little city. Population wasn't even 2,000. In a little wood frame, Assembly of God Church, I've been there. God took me there for reasons and, and spoke to me about things. That don't mean anybody else has got to do it. You don't copy what somebody else is doing. You do what God's called you. But in this little 
wood frame church. Beside it was something called a home that the pastor lived in. And back in those days, they called it a parsonage. In this home, that little wood frame home, if they haven't torn it down, when I was there, it was still there. In that home, in the kitchen, Jesus Christ appeared to Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin one night about 11 p.m. at night. They had just come from the service. They were sitting there having refreshments there in the pastor's kitchen. And the pastor's daughter needed to go to bed. And it was his custom to pray with his daughter and tuck her in every night, the pastor. And he said, that was discussing Bible truths, you know. And, and uh, he just told Brother Hagin, he said, well, you just want to kneel down here. We'll just pray with her and we'll send her off and let her go to bed. And we'll continue our discussion. And Dad Hagin said, sure. So he pulled his chair out to kneel down this old wooden floor in this kitchen. It might have had a vinyl rug, we called it on there, if you remember the old vinyl days. And pulled it out. He said he never expected what was about to happen to him, no more than he expected to be the next man to land on the moon. And I'll tell you, back in 1953, you couldn't expect to land on the moon. They hadn't really conceived all that. They thought about it, but not going to the moon. He knelt down on that floor. Said when he was kneeling down, all the furniture disappeared, and it was like he knelt in a white cloud. He said he never expected it. He wasn't praying for it. Had no idea it was going to happen. Then he looked up startled because he's down on his knees and he looked up and everything, all the furniture disappeared. He wasn't aware of the pastor or his pastor's daughter. He wasn't aware of anything. He looked up for some reason towards the ceiling where the ceiling of the kitchen would be and it had disappeared. And guess who was standing right there? The Lord Jesus Christ himself had come to this little city population less than 2,000 during that time. Broken Bow, Oklahoma, 1953, December, he said to Dad Hagen, I've come to teach you and talk to you about devils, demons, and evil spirits, and I'm just paraphrasing, how they operate and how they will even get a hold of Christians if Christians would allow them to. In that particular time, and I'm not going through the whole story, or just kind of laying a little foundation about how we need to resist the devil. Jesus proved to him that nowhere in the New Testament is the believer ever told to pray to him, Jesus, God the Father, Holy Ghost, or anybody to do anything about the devil for the Christian. But he also proved to him in the Bible that the Christian is always told to do something about the devil themselves. For instance, James chapter 4 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. While Jesus is talking to him, this little demon ran between him and Jesus. To make a long story longer or shorter, you know I can do it both ways. And this little demon was making racket so that he could not hear what, Je- Dad Hagen couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. And then he put out something like a smoke screen where he couldn't see Jesus either. He could hear the rumbling of Jesus' voice. And Dad Hagen said to himself, don't Jesus know that I need to hear this? I've never heard nothing like this in my lifetime. Up till that time, by Dad Hagen's own testimony, he didn't know he had authority of the devil. They didn't know that they had to uh, bind the devil or anything. They didn't know that. He come out of the assemblies of God like what I was brought up in. He didn't know that. He wasn't a revelation. The revelation that we walk in today about the authority of the believer, it was not common until the 1950s. It was not. It didn't come on the scene till then. And it wasn't because... Uh, uh, now, others had glimpses of it in times past. You can go back and study some of the old saints, and they got glimpses of it. 
But it wasn't a major doctrine in the church. Most people hid from the devil. They didn't know they had to take authority over the devil. But anyway, this devil's running between him and Jesus, a little bitty demon. And, and Dad Hagin's saying to himself, don't Jesus know I need to hear what he's saying? I can't hear it. And so finally, in frustration and desperation, he just said to that demon, he said, I command you to shut up and stop in the name of Jesus. He said immediately when he spoke those words, that demon stopped, the smoke screen disappeared, he quit talking, and bang, it hit the floor in the spirit and laid there shivering and shaking. And Dan Hagen said, in Jesus' name, I command you to get out of here, and that thing got up and run off. He said, Jesus looked at him and, and pointed to where that demon was, had been, and that was gone. And he said to Dad Hagen, he said, if you had not done that, commanded that devil to go, he said, I could not have done it. Jesus responded and said this. I mean, Brother Hagen responded to Jesus and said this. He said, Lord, I know I didn't hear you correctly because he'd never heard anything like that. He said, you meant to say you didn't want to do anything about that demon, not that you could not do anything about it. Could not. Jesus could not. And he still cannot today in your behalf. If you do not bind the devil, he will not be bound. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I told you. He said, I told you I could not do anything about it if you hadn't done it. And Brother Hagin said he grabbed his ear and shook it because he thought he was hearing incorrectly. He said, dear Lord Jesus, he said, did I hear you correctly? You meant to say that... Uh, you didn't want to do anything about the devil, not that you could not. And Jesus said, no. He said, I told you. He said, if you had not do some, done something about the devil, I could not have done something about it. So Dad Hagen said it this way. I'm just repeating him. He said, I opened my mouth up and put my foot in it. That's good country talk for city folk. You know what I mean? And he said to the Lord, he said, dear Lord Jesus, he said, I've read the Bible through many times. And he said, over the New Testament, over 150 times. And you're telling me that I've got to take authority of the devil? He said, if there's any scriptures in the Bible anywhere in the New Testament like you're saying, he said, I sure don't know it. He said, you're going to have to give me at least three to four scriptural references that what you're telling me is true before I'm going to accept it. He said, Jesus didn't get mad at him. He said, he looked at him and he smiled sweetly. He said, son, he said, I'll go you one better than three. He said, I'll give you four references in the New Testament that nowhere is the believer ever told to pray for me to do anything about the devil. But the believer's always told to do something about the devil himself. Again, Brother Hagin spoke up and said, dear Lord Jesus, if there's anything in there like that, I sure don't know it. Jesus looked at him and smiled sweetly and said, Son, there's a lot of things in there that you don't know. There's a difference between knowing the Bible and having revelation of the Bible. Brother Hagin knew scriptures. He could quote at that time approximately three quarters of the New Testament. But just because you can quote it, we need to quote it. We need to memorize it, but we need revelation of it. So Jesus went on and proved to him what he was saying was true. He proved to him, first of all, that when he, he ascended up on high, he delegated, when Jesus left this earth, he delegated his authority on this earth over the devil to the church, to the believer. And he no longer binds the devil on earth. We do. 
And he showed Brother Hagin, if you don't do it, it won't be done. He said, now I deal with the devil in the heavenlies. That's what he said to Brother Hagin. He said, but you're going to have to deal with the devil down here on the earth. And so from that time, we've had to deal with the devil. So this spiritual warfare, if you'll permit me to use that word, again, we're not fighting the devil. He is defeated, but he's only defeated to the extent that the church enforces it. The devil is behind this, uh, this evil that's going on now. And it should have never been allowed to come forward. And I believe that it can be stopped by us doing what we should do. Amen? So he told me that this year would be a year of spiritual warfare. Especially the first of the year, but it would improve towards the latter part of the year. So I begin to think that way, pray that way, believe that way. All right, in January of uh, 2020... I was over in uh, Wichita, Kansas, at uh, Pastor Jerry and Darlene Burley's church. Your pastors know, know them well. I was in their church. I was awakened around 2.53 in the morning, a.m., and I was having services over there, you know, for about four days or something. And when I woke up, the Spirit of God said to me, He said, this year, 2020, will be a year of distractions to try to get my people off my plan and my purpose for their life. He said, don't be distracted with what's going to happen this year. Now, he didn't tell me a coronavirus was coming. He didn't tell me that. You know what I mean? But he told me, don't be distracted with what's coming. So I was puzzled. And then when he told me not to be distracted, immediately, with revelation inside, it was he downloaded revelation into me. You understand? Into my spirit. That's for you computer wizards, you know. He imparted to me revelation about not being distracted. Don't be distracted off the path that God has you on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if we need to make correction, certainly we do. If we need to repent, certainly we do. But you can still walk by faith. Don't let the thing shake you that's going on. Because, yes, there's a shaking going on in the natural and spiritual world. But in the midst of it, God's people can have peace, joy, and prosperity, and divine health. It does not have to affect you like it affects everybody else. I remember Dad Hagen was told by the Lord one time. He woke him up and told him. He said, go to the office today. And I believe he told him to lay off 17 people because there's a recession that's coming. He said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, it won't affect you like it will everybody else. And he was talking about the church and the world too. The Lord knows what's going to happen before it happens. And that's why it's good to stay in touch with him. So he went over and done what, exactly what de, uh, the Lord told him to do. Dad Hagen did. He didn't want to, but the Lord told him to. And it did not affect him. He came through it unscathed financially. His ministry didn't suffer because he'd done what the Lord told him to. Thank you. Thank you for getting excited. <laughs> so let's look. I think you told me to turn somewhere. What did you tell me? Luke chapter what? Oh, you didn't pick it up in the spirit. I knew you would. I I knew. I had faith in you. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. 
With that distraction, he downloaded some things into me. What I'm saying, and gave me revelation of this. It showed me exactly what I needed to meditate on and what I needed to preach about to prepare people. In fact, in my meeting in January of this year in Florida, at Pensacola Beach, Florida, we have a meeting down there at that beach. Next year, we'll be down there at the Hilton Hotel at the Pensacola Beach, Florida. We rent a conference room there, and we'll be doing our meetings. So we have a lot of people that come, a lot of preachers that come. And it's kind of a time to hear from God. And God speaks to us. But the Lord had me speaking along these lines, not exactly, but along these lines, during that time in order to get that group that was there ready for what was going to come. About the uh, uh, spiritual warfare that would come and also the distractions that was going to come because he said, don't be distracted. No, that don't mean that we don't pay attention to what's going on, but you can be overly concerned with things going on and get distracted. You know what I mean? And that knew that's what the Lord talked about. It doesn't mean that you don't pay attention to what's happening or anything, but you, you don't want to over, go overboard and get distracted and off the path because you can actually wind up getting in fear instead of faith. If you look at and listen to a lot of this stuff that's going on today. Luke chapter 10. Let's look at a distraction in the Bible. And again, this was given to me by the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. says, Now it came to pass as they went that he, this is speaking of Jesus, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Now why did Martha receive him into her house? Because she wanted to be with Jesus. If you want to be with Jesus, you can receive him into your house. You can invite him into your house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered. And if you look up that word cumbered, it means distracted with. Martha was distracted with or cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her, make her come and help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. You're worried and troubled about many things. That word careful means worried about many things. There's but one thing is needful And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. The reason Jesus came to Martha's house is because she invited him and received him. Otherwise, he would have walked right on by. Jesus is not going to interrupt my life or your life. You are your own free moral agent. You've got the choice to invite him in or keep going around like you're doing or or, or don't want to see him. That's fine, too. But he came to Martha's house because she invited him and received him. Lord, whatever it is, I want you here. And that was honorable, admirable that Martha would do that. Wouldn't you think so? 
And she said it had a sister named called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet. But what it said, in, it says there in verse 40, Martha was cumbered, or that she was distracted with serving. Now, let's talk about this. It's proper to serve. It's proper to be a good host with guests. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus didn't have nothing against that. But what had happened is Martha had allowed the serving and being a good host to overpower her as she was focused on the wrong thing. God manifested in the flesh was sitting in her living room recliner. Lazy boy. (laughs) The wisdom, God himself. It's all right to serve. Bring him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Some sweet tea. (laughs) I don't know about the collards and pigtails, but anyway, he he was Jewish, you know. but, (laughs) but, But anyway, that was proper. That was good. That was well. But once Martha served, stop what you're doing. Don't be distracted with all that. In other words, don't place serving over the importance of listening to Jesus. And that's what she had done. It was not wrong. He didn't get on to her for being a good host. He didn't get on to her for serving. And you know, Martha was mad at Mary. You know how sisters are. You got a sister. They love one another. But they do have disagreements sometimes, you know. Just like guys do. But you know, can you paint the picture of what's going on here? Jesus is sitting there talking, and Mary is raptured. She's not concerned about Martha. Martha is looking around the kitchen door. She takes two pans and beats them together. Because she wants to get Mary's attention sitting over in the floor. I'm in here doing all this. I get a hold of her. She's slinging that dishwasher. If I get a hold of her, I'll slap her up here with that. She, she better, she know proper, proper protocol if for Mary to be off her rear end in there helping Martha. Proper. And it doesn't say that Mary didn't assist. To begin with. So you don't have the full picture. But I believe culture would require that Mary help some. But then after she sat, she got the peanut butter and crackers and the jelly and everything out. Whatever, she sat down. Let's go. (laughs) Tell me something, Jesus. Tell me something. I'm ready to hear your voice. And so here come Martha out of the kitchen. Because she couldn't get her attention because she would look at her. Mary would look at Martha because of banging them pots. Why don't you shut up in there, woman, you know? <laughs> and look at her. And, then, and, and, and uh, Mary, Martha would look from the kitchen. She'd look with them dagger eyes. You know how y'all can do it. Mary, you let me go. <laughs> Wouldn't say a word because Jesus is here. You know, oh, my God. You know what Mary would do? She'd look at her and turn her head back to Jesus and look. She stayed Focused. She wasn't going to be distracted with Mary, even though she knew she was signing her death warrant. <laughs> so what Martha done, left the kitchen. With a little tray or something on it, you know, which could serve more, you know, maybe some uh, pitcher or something with liquid in it or something to pour and make it look busy. But she got close enough to Mary. While Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, she kicked her in her room. Boom. 
You know how y'all do. Well, we know how y'all do. And Mary looked around, make a face at her, and, and Martha looked. So finally, this went on a while. You got to know. You got to read the Bible. It went on for a little while. Then Martha got like old Popeye the sailor man. I done stands it till I can't stand it no more. And that what he does? He pops up that can of spinach and he beats up old what's his name? Uh, she was ready to beat her up. So she went to appeal to God manifested in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us. She did not realize, Martha did not realize the importance of the moment. She had become so distracted. And it happens even today. And that's what the Lord had told me. Don't be distracted this year. There's a plan that I have. The enemy's going to try to interrupt it, but you stay with it. You keep praying. You keep believing. Don't be caught off track. Don't mean you can't look around. Can't, don't mean you can't see what's going on. But don't be distracted. So we see here what the Bible says. She said in verse 40, Martha was cumbered or she was distracted with much serving. And came to him, came to Jesus, just right up beside him. And said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm doing all this work by myself. Well, it was proper in the culture for both of them to be a good host and serve their guests. Because I'm sure there were more than Jesus there. They probably had other people that was his disciples were probably there with them. He said, or, or bid her or tell her, that's what that means, to help me. Look what Jesus responded. Because he realized that Martha is distracted, she's upset, she's agitated and angry. Verse 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, I believe this is the way he said it, Martha, but he said it twice, Martha, Martha. Why did he say her name twice? Didn't she know her name? Number one was to focus on him. Number two was to get her attention. She'd been thinking the wrong way. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried, careful, that word careful means worried and troubled about many things. See, he knew everything about her. Not just about the serving. It was just her bent. It was her personality to be over-anxious about things. It won't things in perfection, and that's all well and good. But she was going overboard here. He said, you're worried and troubled about how many things? Many. It wasn't just this. He read her like a book. He knew everything about her. He knew all men. He was God manifesting the flesh. And he knew that she needed to stop and be ministered to herself. She always was so worried and so, oh, i got to help somebody. i got to do it. Well, it's good to help somebody. But there's a time to get help for yourself. You know what I mean? 
says, but this is what Jesus said. He said, you're worried and you're troubled about many things. But verse 42, he said, but one thing is needful. He said, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Notice, Mary had to make a choice not to be distracted. And I do too. You do too. And he said, which shall not be taken from her. Shall not is strong language. In other words, it doesn't matter how much pressure you put on me to make me tell her to do something, I shall not do it. Shall not is a strong words. In other words, she made this choice and I've granted her request. She made the choice to sit at my feet. I granted it. And he'll grant your request too. Now this keeps coming up in me. Can I just say it? Granny, Papa, God's got a job for you. And if you're in here too, I'm speaking by the Holy Ghost to somebody. Some of you feel lonely. You feel unused. Feel like you're... Could God use me? God needs your help right now, Granny. He needs your help right now, Papa. More than He's ever needed. We're jitterbugs compared to your age. You've got wisdom beyond our years. He needs your help. Because you can pray on a level and bombard the heavens that's going to help us little jitterbugs, us younger folks, to step into our calling. Without you, we're not going to reach our destination. Without you, under that anointing, so don't feel like you're worthless. Don't be distracted with wrong thinking and wrong talking and wrong believing. There's a purpose for your life. God's got a purpose. Don't sit around and weep and cry. Listen, I'm not against you. I know you can feel very lonely. But this is the Spirit of God talking to you. He's right there with you. Lord, I'm asking you now to manifest yourself to Him. Lord, make yourself known to Him, Lord. I see Him there, Lord, in the name of Jesus. So be at peace. And right now you can sense there's a freedom and a liberty and anointing coming upon you. You're not washed up. It's not over. The Lord needs your help. So yield to Him. Don't be distracted with wrong thinking. And I'm not saying you are. But don't be distracted. Put your attention and focus on Jesus. Hallelujah. Granny, Papa, God's got a job for you. We may not all be in the same capacity, but all of us have a job. All of us have a mission. All of us have a calling. Listen, the reason I'm standing right here is because I had grannies praying for me. And Papa's praying for me. I'm talking about not just natural, but spiritual grannies. And spiritual Papa's. I'm telling you. And spiritual mothers and fathers in the faith that prayed for me or I wouldn't be standing here. So mamas and papas, grannies and papas, don't feel like you're worthless. There's a plan God has. And it's coming to pass. We need your help. 
more than we've ever needed it before for the plan of God to take place and come to pass. Don't be distracted with the devil lying to you and telling you that you don't have a purpose because you do. Thank God for it. Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. He said it shall not be taken away. She made the choice. Jesus granted her request. What was her choice? I want to set at Jesus' feet. And no doubt, when Martha asked that question to Jesus, Mary squinched up because she didn't know what the answer was going to be. Oh, I hope I didn't make a mistake. I hope I didn't get it wrong. But when Jesus answered, she was relieved. I didn't get it wrong. I got it right. Notice this. You can be overly distracted with things. I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention. He said, but he told me about this year, don't be distracted with all that's going to happen, and you shouldn't either. Can you see that? Is that a good example right here in the Bible? Directed from Jesus, turn back to Mark 10. A scripture that you have heard of and know. You've probably heard it since you was knee-high to a grasshopper jumping dishes with soda crackers. Verse 17. We're going to talk about the rich young ruler and about him being distracted. And again, the Lord gave me all of this just in a revelation. Mark 10, verse 17. It says, When he, speaking of Jesus, was gone forth into the way, it says, There came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's admirable that this young man, in fact, the Bible calls him the rich young man or the rich young ruler, because it goes on and you understand it as we read it. He came forth away. What did he do? He came running to Jesus, which is an admirable thing to do. Once he got there, he kneeled down to him, which is very admirable to do. And then number three, he asked him a question. He said, good master, speaking of Jesus, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Do you see that? Jesus answered him, because he's wanting to know about eternal life. Isn't that right? He said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. He said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal. It says, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered, the rich young ruler answered Jesus and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. In other words, I've kept these commandments. I've done everything that you just quoted to me. I've done it. I've kept the law. I've done it, and I've observed it from my youth, from the time I was a little child. Verse 21, then Jesus beholding him did what? Loved him. Notice Jesus didn't condemn him. Jesus didn't attack him. Jesus didn't say, you old sorry thing, you did he. It said he loved him, but he also corrected him. Love always corrects. He didn't tell him, you're going to be all right in the state that you're in right now. He didn't tell him that. 
He didn't tell him, my grace is sufficient for you, and you don't have to do anything else. Did he? No, he didn't. He looked at him. He loved him. That didn't mean he's mad at him. But he knew he didn't measure up yet. He knew there was qualifications that need to be met in order for his request to be granted the question that he had asked Jesus. Jesus loved him, didn't condemn him, but he also corrected him. And he said unto him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give it to the poor, and then you shall have treasure in heaven, then come and take up the cross and follow me. Jesus gave him directions, right? He gave him correction. Because even though he had done these things, Jesus seen that his heart was not right. This rich young man was distracted with his riches. Verse 22, how do we know? Verse 22, and he, the young man, was sad at that saying. And went away, what? Grieved or sorrowful, for he had what? Great possessions. Notice, all Jesus asked him to do was what? One thing. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say it was wrong to have money. Jesus did not say it was wrong to be rich. But it is wrong for money to have you and riches to have you and that to be your life. And he knew that this boy's faith was in his money and not in Jesus. What his money could get for him, what he could buy, he had bought his way through life. You've got enough money, you can get somewhere. Isn't that right? And Jesus realized that that's going to hinder your plan. But notice, this young man was distracted with what? One thing. Now, knowing the Bible, like your pastors have taught us, knowing the Bible, if this young man had have done what Jesus said, he would have had more money than he knew what to do with because there's something called the law of sowing and reaping. And the Bible says, He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. He that soweth sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Isn't that right? So he would have set in motion a spiritual law that probably he did not understand. He looked at what was in his hand as more important than obeying the words of Jesus. He was distracted. But what if he had obeyed? He had been like the widow when the prophet came and said to she said, I only got a, a stick or two and a little bitty meal and all. And he said, I'm going to eat it. My son and I, we're going to die because there's a famine in the land. And the prophet told her, said, before you feed you and your son, make me a little cake. And the barrel of meal did not fail from that day forward. When she sowed everything she had, what little she had, she sowed it and trusted God. And they ate for many days, many days. Isn't that right? Many days. Isn't that right? Anytime God asks you to do something financially, he's setting you up for a miracle. I have asked, I've had him ask me to do things that <laughs> financially that I thought there's no way that I could do it. 
The only way I could do it was go to my past career. <laughs> I was in prison for robbery. Excuse me, you know, you might not know that. So I, I said, I'll have to revert to my old past to do what you're asking. Oh, I remember one time, the first time I'd ever gave something large on way back there. I was sitting in Brother Hagin's meeting, and it was large to me. It wouldn't be large to you. And they was taking up an offering, you know, for a ministry, and the, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And he said, I want you to put $7,000 in, in the offering. I said, do what? I mean, $7,000? I ain't got no $7,000. I mean, I have to rob Peter to pay Paul and kill Stephen. I mean, my God. <laughs> Oh, you know what? My God! And I was going to do some dangling. I poked my wife, you know? And she's sitting there looking at me, and I'm looking at her. We're like a deer in the headlights. She's getting things too, you know? My God! And we sat there, and we said, What have we got to lose? <laughs> we going to go under if we keep it. <laughs> Let's just give it to God and see what he can do with it. <laughs> so I sat in Brother Hagin's meeting, Dad Hagin's meeting, and wrote a hot dog on check. <laughs> I mean, a hot check. But I was soon as the prayer was over, <laughs> I was going to try to dig up all that money, a little here and a little there, and put it in that account. Well, that thing wouldn't bounce because Brother Hagin would kill me if it did. My God. He didn't believe in no hot checks, you know. Bouncing checks. God is my witness. My wife is probably watching right now. She can verify the story. And about a week from that day, less than two weeks, the largest offering we'd ever received at one time came from a man that I had never met but once. He was Senator Bayhackle's son. He sent me a check for $40,000. I said, God, you need another seven. <laughs> you need another seven. You need another seven. <laughs> that's, that's how your faith, the Bible talks about your faith growing exceedingly. I mean, I, my God can do anything. My God. I look at it, I'm fixing to go under. I mean, I'm giving my last morsel. I'm going to cook the two sticks and take the oil and the bread. That's it, we're going to die. <laughs> but God took what looked like death and resurrected it to life. That's what your God can do. <laughs> I'm telling you. It pays to obey God. I'm telling you, if this rich young ruler would have stepped out on the words of Jesus, that word would have held him up. And he would have been one of the wealthiest men around. Because that's the law of the word of God. Even the Bible says when you give to the poor, God will repay you. It's like giving it to God. Don't make me give away everything I got. 
I get to talking like this, see how good God is. I want to give it all. I remember me and my wife was in a meeting one time and I didn't have much. I mean, it was early on traveling ministry and they'd taken up an offer and I just wasn't going to give much, you know. And God began to deal with us. And my wife just said, let's just put it all in. I said, now, wait a minute. Let's think about this. <laughs> let's don't both of us get in faith at the same time. My God, we, we might get a miracle here. And we did right in that meeting. God had a man stand up in a chair across the room after this meeting was over and wave at me. Hey! Well, I'm from the country. You just wave back at everybody. Hi! Hey! Hey! And he was pointing towards an usher. He had sent an usher over there with an envelope. In it was a check for a substantial sum of money. y'all do it now my god i'm telling you Woo! i'm telling you granny you know granny shouting don't knock bobby pins fly everywhere and she said it felt good but when i was a kid it looked like it was hurting her you know the way she is a... <laughs> she said it felt good my god it feels good sometimes you gotta shout it out i'm here to tell you you, gotta... <laughs> you just gotta shout it out <laughs> If you slang a few bobby pins and hair bowls, let them fly. My God. <laughs> I'm trying to close and y'all keep agging me on. You see how y'all do. I believe old Granny and Papa got out of that doggone chair a while ago. Woo! They probably dancing around the house now. My God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Here we go. Where we at? Acts 15. I'm trying to close. What time is it? Oh, my Lord Jesus. Here we go. Acts 15. One more scripture. Acts chapter 15. I'm telling you, God is with us. The spirit of faith is on us. His pastor has already taught us. Talking about not being distracted. Not let things distract us. If the rich wrong ruler had to put in everything he had, just like Jesus said, he wouldn't have went broke. He wouldn't have went busted. He went blessed. Acts uh, fifteen thirty five. Paul also in Barnabas, just talking about Paul and Barnabas, continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days afterwards, Paul said to Barnabas, he said, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. In other words, they had gone, people had got saved, churches no doubt had started, and they wanted to go back and check on them. That's what Paul wanted to do, and he wanted to take Barnabas. But verse 37 says, But Barnabas, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, these commentators, dictators, and all these other taters in the commentaries said that it's the possibility that John whose surname was Mark, was kin to Barnabas. So kinfolk. That's what they're saying. I don't know. I told you how we got kin in Georgia. Yeah, if you wasn't here, somebody can tell you. But, uh, but said Barnabas determined to take with them who? John, whose surname was Mark, 
says, but Barnabas wanted to do it, but Paul thought what? Thought it not good to take him with them. Why? Because he departed from them. He had been with them before, this John Mark. Had been with them before, he departed from them, didn't complete the assignment, didn't complete the mission. He departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Paul had already experienced the disobedience and the, this man being distracted before. And he had become a distraction to Paul and Barnabas and preaching the gospel. And Paul didn't trust him to take him again. Because Paul didn't need to go back trying to prop this guy up again, John Mark. Prop him up in the ministry again because he had to go prop up others that was already out there and get them saved. So he needed somebody positive on the mission team. But he had been a distraction to him before. Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them, talking about Paul and Barnabas, who were good friends, anointed ministers of the gospel, that they departed asunder from the other. In other words, they split up. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. Of course, Barnabas went one way, Paul took Silas and departed, being recommended who? By the brethren. The words, Silas had a good report. He was known as a man that was focused. He wasn't distracted. And they told Paul, you can trust Silas, and he's not going to get you off the path. He's not going to be a burden to you. He's going to be an asset to you. He said he was recommended by the brethren, And he went through Syria and Sicilia confirming the churches. Paul and Silas did. But notice here, Paul would not be distracted from the mission. Even though Barnabas was a close minister friend. They had come up in Christ together. But sometimes uh, you got to be focused. And when others don't have the same focus that you have... uh, Sometimes it's better to separate until we can both agree on the issue. Because Paul said that John Mark was a distraction before, and he was probably going to be a distraction now, and he didn't want to take time to prove him and train him because he didn't have time to prop up John Mark and tell him, you ain't got to go home to mama. I know she's cooking you, well, they can't eat pork chops, but they, she's cooking that pork chops and, and rice and gravy, I mean, and getting them pig feet. Pastor's going to get you some, you know, them pig feet and all that kind of stuff, and you won't go see home to mama and hide under her apron. But, boy, you got to grow up and be a man. We out here, we got to face the devil, and I don't need you wanting to go home and eat pork chops and butter beans and black-eyed peas. Get yourself up. Let's go. And Paul said, no, Barnabas, I ain't taking him. We're going out there and build the kingdom of God. We've got a mission to accomplish, and I don't want no distractions right now. Look at this. Paul wouldn't even be distracted by a preacher. Woo! Woo! He wouldn't be distracted. Sometimes you have to separate. Now, We'll say this, later on, John Mark did make adjustments, and Paul took him with him. But at this time, Paul didn't believe he was ready for the journey, because he couldn't stay focused on 
what God was calling him to do. Thank you for getting excited about it. We're not going to be distracted, right? We're not going to allow distractions to overcome us and take us over in any area. We're not going to be over. That don't mean that we don't pay attention to what's going on. That don't mean you can't see the news or find out what's happening. I'm not saying that. But if you get overly distracted with those things, it'll get you out of faith. It'll get you out of sowing and tithing like you should because you'll be getting fear. It will. And you'll begin to look at those things. What am I going to do? How am I going to do? You're going to trust in God. Take your two sticks and your bottle of oil and your little meal and you sow it to God. Because God's going to take care of you. He'll, he'll lead you. He'll guide you. Don't be distracted by everything that's going on. Now, the Lord said to me, remember, this is going to be a year of spiritual warfare. And remember, we, we explained, tried to explain it, not in depth, but carefully. I don't mean we've got to go out and defeat the devil because he's already defeated. But he's only defeated to the extent that we enforce his defeat. The church, the body of Christ, has the authority over the devil. So I know this, that the enemy has tried to come in many Christians' life this year with distractions. And there's been spiritual opposition that has come against many in the church world. We're going to deal with that this morning. In fact, I'm just going to pray a mass prayer. I'm anointed to do that. And pray for you and pray for those that's watching. Pray for those that may be in overflow and and, and things here. But we're going to deal with these things. Because there are evil spirits that's trying to operate now in the earth too. Trying to distract us. And there's other things that's trying to get our attention. But we've got authority over them all. And nothing is going to stop us from accomplishing the will of God. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I'd like to pray for you. And pray for you there on live stream and those in overflow, wherever you may be in your homes. Dear Heavenly Father, you spoke into my spirit this morning. And you said for me to pray this way. So I'm obeying you. Lord, do you remember what you told Dad Hagen December of 1953 in Broken Bow, Oklahoma? You asked for him to pray for those in another state that would even there where he was at. And he didn't know that he could do that. But you told him, Lord, there's no distance in the realm of the Spirit. In other words, you can pray standing right here and affect things worldwide. So, Lord, we believe that and we know that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that information. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every evil work that's been agitating people, coming against people, in the name of Jesus, and I command you to take your hands off of them, loose them, and let them go in Jesus' name. Satan, I command you to take your hands off their money, loose it, and let it go. Go, ministry spirits, angels of God, and cause the money to come back to them unexpectedly from even unexpected sources and supernatural ways in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Father, those that have been uh, distracted, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, that there will be a peace that will come upon them and the faith of God that will rise up in them and that your peace will be upon them. And I thank you, Lord, for your angels that encamp around about them to bear them up in their hands, 
lest they dash their foot against a stone. Father, we know that you've got a plan that's coming, that's even working right now. And it's not going to turn out like everybody says it is as far as evil and bad, but it's going to turn out good. It's going to turn out for your glory and your power and your anointing is going to flow in a supernatural way. And the church is going to arise and tell the story of your glory. And Father, we thank you that many would be born again, set free. Healed in their bodies. And I speak healing over every individual under the sound of my voice. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that anointing that's imparted. And Father, we thank you that you've been with us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.